would have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Thank you, Gracie Lou. And thank you, Stan. Cheryl Frazier from Rhode Island. So we began an Advent series a few weeks ago. And our theme verse is from Isaiah chapter 9. The theme for uh, 6 and 7. But I'm going to read the first part of that as well. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvests. Warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm going to read one more verse. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The clip you just saw is from a movie that was made about 20 years ago called Miss Congeniality. The plot line is that there's a terrorist plot against a, the, a Miss United States pageant. So the FBI wants to send in an undercover agent to be as a contestant. And it, the, the person chosen is uh, Gracie Liu, who's played by Sandra Bullock. And she's... she's uh, She's not a natural for the role, shall we say. If you've seen the movie, you, you know what I mean. She's a, you know, the scene opens up with her punching people. She, she, she does everything possible to be one of the guys, so to speak. Not exactly what you picture when you think of a beauty passion contestant. But she's the only one available, and she goes because she kind of has to. And then, you know, the thing unfolds. But the clip that you saw, all the pageant contestants are asked the question, What's the most important thing our society needs? And they all answer, world peace, you know? And, and it's meant to be funny, and it is funny, but it pokes fun at the way beauty pageants try to be serious about some not-so-serious things um, to make themselves look serious. But it also suggests that the hope for world peace, the hope for world peace really is a joke, No one believes it's possible. All our attempts at peace are trivial, trite, fake. They're a fantasy. 
And there's a reason for that. It's the reason why nobody believes in world peace. Because none of us, none of us have ever seen world peace. We look at the world and we look at our experience in the world and it's wars, it's violence, it's famines, it's diseases, it's people displaced and driven from their homes, it's racism, it's oppression, it's prejudice, broken homes, broken lives, broken everything. The strong oppress the weak, the powerful pummel the poor, nations war against nations, and in just about every instance, it's the innocent that suffer the most, and especially children. That's our world today. Our world needs peace, but we don't believe in the possibility of peace. We wish the world were different, but the truth is we're so busy with so many things in our own lives. We've got bills to pay, we've got kids to drive around, we've got papers to write, for students, we've got health problems to, to, to uh, work out. We've, you know, there, there are just so many things we have to worry about. So longing for peace, you know, longing for justice, aching for a better world, we just don't have time for that. We don't have the time or the energy to worry about utopian fantasies, things that can't be real. But here's the thing. The way the world is now is not the way the world was when God created it. When God created the world, the world was, in fact, at peace. The world was at peace at one time. And the Old Testament prophets kept dreaming of a day when God would put things right again, when God would restore Peace to all of creation, to all of creation. They cried out, the prophets cried out against the injustice and the oppression they saw, and at the same time, they proclaimed that better days were in fact coming. They proclaimed that God would intervene and make all things right, that God would establish justice and righteousness and peace in this world. Isaiah prophesies that a child will be called, will be born, who will be called, who will be Prince of Peace. The New Testament opens, it begins with the birth of that child prophesied by Isaiah 700 years earlier. It's, he's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. A child is born to a virgin named Mary. That night, an angel appears to a group of shepherds out in the field, and he proclaims, I bring you good news that will bring, you, that will bring great joy to all the peoples. A Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, a host of angels then say. And on earth, peace. On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We know that that Prince of Peace prophesied by Isaiah, that baby born to a virgin, is Jesus. Now the question for us is, what kind of peace does Jesus bring? That, that word translated as peace, 
that word, that Hebrew word, is the word shalom. And shalom is a dense verb, a dense word. It's a dense, it's a complex, multifaceted, wide-ranging word. In our NIV Bibles, that one Hebrew word shalom is translated different in about 70 different ways. About 70 different ways. Uh, they all highlight different nuances of this one Hebrew word, shalom. So in the Bible, shalom means well-being or health or prosperity. It means harmony, contentment, completeness. It has, it, it's, uh, it's about justice and righteousness. It's about equity and fairness. It's about reconciled relationships, about concern for the common good, about community, common life shared in unity. It's about universal flourishing. Ultimately, the big idea is that shalom is about universal flourishing, about universal wholeness and delight. It's, it's the idea of no one being left behind, no one falling through the cracks, no one being oppressed anymore, everyone having plenty, everyone being loved, no more injustice. Everybody brought into, included into family. That's biblical shalom. Now, it's important for us to recognize what shalom isn't also to recognize what it is, to understand what it is. So shalom is not rooted in circumstances or settings, but rooted in Christ and his kingdom. It's not dependent on the absence of war or the absence of conflicts or trials. It's dependent on the presence of Jesus in the midst of trials. So you can be in the midst of a really deep trial and still have God's shalom. There are some of us in this sanctuary right now who are in the midst of a very, very deep trial. And by the grace of God, they are experiencing God's shalom at the same time. Thanks be to God. It's not just a private transaction between you and God. It's not only inner peace or spiritual peace in yourself. It's something that's, that's uh, it speaks about wholeness and completeness throughout all of creation. So it's not just individual, but it's, it's corporate, it's global, it's cosmic. God's shalom is cosmic. And it's not a state of mind. It's not having a positive mental attitude. But it's a state of right relationships, being in right relationships with God, with yourself, within yourself, with other people, with all the rest of creation. And it's not simply a subjective experience, but an objective reality. It's not about how we feel but about something that God is doing and will complete. Ultimately, shalom, peace, peace is a person. Peace is wrapped up in a person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes peace and gives peace. Now, there's a problem. About 100 years ago, less, a bit less than 100 years, the London Times sent a letter 
to a bunch of famous authors of that day. And one of the people they sent the letter to was to G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton, I don't know if you, he's not as well known as he used to be, but he's a magnificent writer. Uh, well, he's written over 100 books. His book, Everlasting Man, was really influ- influential in the conversion of C.S. Lewis. Anyway, Chesterton gets his letter from the London Times. This letter says, what's wrong with the world today? So Chesterton answers. His answer is this. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. That's it. What's wrong with the world today? Chesterton says, I am. I am what's wrong with the world today. You are what's world wrong with the world today. We are what's wrong with the world today. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they rejected God's rule over them. They unleashed death and destruction into the creation. Every human being since then has followed the path of our ancestors. We followed the path of Adam and Eve. We've unleashed selfishness and sin and disorder and destruction and chaos and conflict in our world. We are the problem. Our sin has disrupted God's shalom. Shalom is the outflow of reconciliation of restoring our relationship with God, of being restored in our relationship with God. It's the outflow of receiving the love of God and the forgiveness of God and being freed to love in return. It's a manifestation of the grace of God shown to us in and through Christ. Matthew one twenty one says, He will save his people from their sins. He will save us. He's restoring us. Jesus has healed the rupture and closed the gap between God and us. He did that through the cross. I want to read a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. This is a prophecy of Isaiah, and he's writing really about the Messiah to come. It's a messianic prophecy. And when you read it in whole, you you know it's talking about more than just what was happening in his immediate day. But starting verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Now, shalom with God leads to experiencing the shalom of God. Experience God's peace within us. And that peace with God opens the door for God's ongoing presence in our life. Ongoing presence in our life. 
In John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And then in uh, chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples, A time is coming. And in fact has come when you will be scattered. Each to your own home. Scattered by persecution, he means. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace, the peace that the world gives is a peace that comes when everything is smooth and serene. But the peace that Jesus gives doesn't mean, isn't necessitated upon the absence of conflict or trial. It means the absence of fear in the midst of trial. What Jesus is saying is that we can have his peace. He offers his peace that's enough for us even in the midst of the, of the deepest trial. Why? Because he's with us. He's with us. Like David in Psalm 23 who said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Even in the midst of our shadows of death, even in the midst of our deepest conflict, we can know <clears throat> that Jesus is with us. So we do not have to be afraid. And then Jesus' shalom brings us peace with other human beings. When we are at peace with God and experience the peace of God within, we have supernatural resources to be at peace with other people. Christ is our peace. And by his death on the cross, he removes even the, the high racial and economic and political and cultural barriers that divide us. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read phrases from what he wrote in verses 14 to 16. Paul says, For he himself, for he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. What Paul is saying is that when Jesus went to the cross, he took away all the barriers, the deepest dividing barriers of that culture and of our world as well that separate us. He made it possible for us to come together as one new humanity, one new people. So what that means is that um, Jew and Gentile and African and Asian and European and South American and North American and rich and poor and old and young and male and female we are all equally invited to the cross 
We're drawn to Christ. We are brothers and sisters together in one new humanity. And the things that are different about us aren't stuff that divide us anymore. They're stuff we celebrate because they enrich our common life together. In the first service this morning, after service, a woman came to me. Uh, she's from Germany. She, was, she grew up in Germany. She was there in 1989 when the Berlin Wall, 18, uh, 19, yeah, when Berlin Wall fell. And she says, you know, she started crying when she was telling me this. She said, no one believed it was possible that that wall would ever fall. And then that fall, well, that, that, yeah, yeah, that wall fell. <laughs> the dividing wall of hostility was broken. What, what she experienced in small measures, what Jesus has done for us at the cross, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken. And we can come together in shalom. Shalom is when the image of God is recognized, protected, and cultivated in every human being. It's our personal calling as followers of Jesus, our corporate following as the community of God's people. It's the vision God set forth in the Garden of Eden. And it's the restoration that God desires for every broken relationship. Every broken relationship. Leslie White writes, Shalom is the very good in the gospel. You remember in the book of, Revela- uh, book of Genesis, God creates and he, and he says, he sees what he's created and says it is good. Six times he says that, it is good, 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 it is good. And then he said it is very good. So he looks at the totality of creation, looks at the human beings he's created and said, this, all of this, this is very good. This is a way the, gr- the world is supposed to be. And Leslie White continues, despite our anxious minds, despite threats of violence, and despite the vision, God's vision remains. Peace for a hurting soul and wholeness for a fragmented world. I love that. Now, a lot of you probably remember or know something about a speech that Dr. Martin Luther King gave on August 28, 1963, in front of the Lincoln Memorial, it's his famous I Have a Dream speech. About four years later, on Christmas Eve, he preached at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he preached a Christmas sermon on peace. And in that Christmas sermon on peace, he reflected back on his I Have a Dream talk and he said that he, he talked about preaching that sermon and then shortly thereafter he said not, la- not long after talking about that dream I started seeing it turn into a nightmare not long after talking about that dream I started seeing it turn into a nightmare he uses that refrain I started seeing it turn into a nightmare four times in his Christmas sermon on speech. And what he was talking about, he was talking about uh, a bombing of a church on 16th Street Baptist Church in uh, 
in Birmingham, Alabama, where four little girls were killed. He talked about the escalating conflict in Vietnam and all these people being slaughtered on, in, in the U.S. and in Vietnam and all this stuff happening, horrific stuff happened in Vietnam. He talked about the escalating poverty even in the U.S. and also globally. Four times he said, I saw that dream turn into a nightmare. But then he says in his sermon, yes, I am personally the victim of deferred dreams, of blasted hopes, but in spite of that, I close today by saying, I still have a dream. I still have a dream this morning that one day every Negro in this country, every colored person in the world will be judged on the basis of the content of his character rather than the color of his skin. And every man will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. I still have a dream that one day the idle industries of Appalachia will be revitalized and the empty stomachs of Mississippi will be filled. I still have a dream today that one day justice will roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. I still have a dream today that one day war will come to an end, that men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, that nations will no longer rise up against nations, neither will they study war anymore. I still have a dream today that one day the lamb and the lion will lie down together and every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and none shall be afraid. I still have a dream today that one day every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough places will be made smooth and every and the crooked path straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh, all flesh, so shall see it together. Where do we find strength to persevere in the pursuit of justice and righteousness and shalom? Our strength, our hope, comes, it flows from the confidence we have in Jesus Christ. That he came once to inaugurate his kingdom and that he's going to come back to complete it and to rule over it. That's the power of Advent for us. The Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace will come again. Duke Kwan writes, Advent means violence, oppression, injustice, and death itself have an expiration date. They won't last forever. Advent means the new heavens and earth have a guaranteed on-time arrival. They're going to come. They will come in the right time. They won't be delayed. Advent reminds us that we are waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled and at the same time it calls to live in certain hope that those promises will be fulfilled. 
It calls us to both acknowledge the world as it really is and to lament, just like Jesus lamented over the city of Jerusalem. And it calls us to press on in hope, trusting in God's promises to heal and restore our broken lives and broken world, trusting that God will one day make this world right. He will make all things right. Maybe you're like me. There are times when I look at the massive need in the world, even the world right in front of me, and I think to myself, what difference can I make in this world? It's just a drop in a bucket. You know what? It is just a drop in a bucket. But here's the thing. A drop in a bucket is not nothing. In the a drop, our individual drops in the bucket, drops in the bucket of welcoming and kindness and prayer for people, giving them hugs, listening to them when they're burdened and broken, standing with them when they're in pain. Those individual drops in the bucket give people hope and strength to persevere, not give up. Our individual drops in the bucket of generosity added up to feed over 120 families in Quinsigamon Village last month. And we didn't just give them, you know, just enough, but they had enough to overflow and they had enough to last them for days. Individual drops in the bucket add up. Last month, too, we took up a collection. We, we, we uh, re- took up a collection of winter coats and scarves and hats and socks and gloves that clothed over 300 people in need, 300 homeless people. Our individual drops in the bucket feed hundreds of people every month in Maine South. They add up. And our drops, in a, our individual drops in the bucket raised over $20,000 in the last few weeks to buy Chromebooks for a school that couldn't buy them on their own, for kids who couldn't afford them for a school that didn't have the money in their budget. Our individual drops in a bucket matter. They add up. That's what God's people do. That's what God has called us to do. It is through Christ's church that people taste and see that Christ is indeed the Prince of Peace, the one who will establish and complete and reign over shalom for all eternity on earth, on earth. We are kingdom people who live toward Christ's vision of a world restored, giving foretaste and previews of the perfected kingdom We give foretastes, freed from the exhaustion of believing that it's all about us. We give previews of what's going to happen, no longer jaded, believing it's never going to happen because it is going to happen. We're no longer exhausted and crippled because we believe and know this is what Christ is called to do and he will sustain us through it, in it and through it. We're the seeds of Christ's kingdom. 
Christ's kingdom life planted in the soil of our city's neighborhoods. We are the signs of Christ's kingdom. Of Christ's kingdom come. The beacon of Christ's light to the people of our world living in darkness. That's who we are. That's what we are. We began our Advent series asking the question, what's in the name? And here's the answer. Everything, everything, when that name is Jesus, when we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us and for us. He's Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the King who saves his people from their sins. He is wonderful counselor who guides and strengthens us, strengthens us with supernatural divine wisdom. He is mighty God who fights for us and protects us. He is everlasting Father who comes to us, who never gives up on us, who pursues us with his love. He is Prince of Peace who will reign over his people in a kingdom of universal flourishing and wholeness and delight, of justice and righteousness and wholeness and joy. Listen, listen carefully. I bring you today good news, a very great joy. Jesus, the Messiah, came to save and heal and restore. And he's coming again to make all things right and to reign in glory for all eternity. That's who we worship this morning. And that's, that's what we celebrate this heaven season. Amen. That's who he is, and that's what we celebrate. Let's pray.